Welcome to Startup Dads, a podcast about the highs and lows of building a business and raising a family at the same time. For more information about the topics we cover on the podcast and other Startup Dads related content, you can follow us on Twitter at Startup Dads Pod. I'm Amrit, co-founder of Hyper Exponential, a tech startup that I co-founded in 2017. It's grown from a two-person team working out of my kitchen to a profitable business with several large clients and more than 20 team members across London and Europe. I'm also dad to Evie, my first child who was born last December. And I'm Joe. I'm dad to Esme, Lila and Nancy, who are 10, 8 and 5. I've been working on startups, in startups or with startups virtually my whole career, which is about 20 years now. Today, we welcome our first guest onto the show. When he's not being father to his two kids, he's immersed within the startup community in his role as a partner at Deloitte. He's known as Mr. InsureTech, but his real name is Nigel Walsh. Hi, Nigel. Hey, Amrit, how are you doing? I'm really, really well, thanks. How are you? I am living the dream, is what my colleague says. I'm actually really good. I'm flat out at the moment. I'm not sure about you, but it just feels 10 times busier than it's ever felt before. It's kind of a good fun, not a complaint, because thoroughly enjoying it. Yeah, uh, definitely. Really interesting time for startups all around. Uh, I suppose before we jump in, though, Nigel, I'd like you to introduce yourself a little. I think I'd do a terrible job of attempting to introduce a man of your stature. So would you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm assuming when you say stature, just because I'm taller than you, right? I mean, it's... Uh... Uh, everyone's taller than me, Nigel, and you don't get any <laughs> special points for that, I'm afraid. Uh, so Nigel Walsh, uh, partner at Deloitte, I've been here about five years I spend my life making sure the startups have the right access and engagement with uh, organisations like Deloitte and vice versa, to be honest. So my job is to be part of the community, not just serve the community, which I think I've done a a good job on. We can always do better. I lead a lot of the stuff uh, globally around global insurtech, along with one of my colleagues in North America. Um, I also lead the Google and Insurance Alliance and a host of other things. But that's me in a nutshell. Amazing stuff. I was going to make the joke saying you're one of the coolest men in InsureTech, but you can interpret that exactly how you like to. My opening question for you, Nigel. So we work with you, HX, uh, the business I'm the founder of, works uh, with you and Deloitte. And one of the things that it's occurred to me is that startups and large consultants, even in the enterprise space, actually this intersection is actually quite rare. It's a rare uh, intersection. So how did you end up doing what you do, working in a large, very large multinational consultancy, supporting startups from, you know, two-man bands, all the way up to the the, the, bit, the bigger enterprisey scale ones. Cool. How, how long have we got? This is this is a really interesting one. I mean, my, my funny answer is, I guess it's the only job I could find I could actually wear a hoodie in a big organisation. Uh, but look, like, jo- joking aside, I mean, I've been on the other side of the fence as well. I've worked in uh, pre-services. I you know, I'm five years at Deloitte, seven years at Capgemini on the services side. But the ten years prior to that, I've always worked in software, and I've had a really strong passion and understanding of what it takes to get a enterprise software company into market and doing that on your own without a GSI, a strategy partner or whatever you want to call it these days is really difficult. I knew the folks that helped me out when I was on the software side. I knew what they did differently. I found a champion or a backer or someone that believed in us and helped us navigate the organization both inside, which is really hard, and I mean inside the the consulting firm, and our client base. And I think there's a magical mix of, of, of working, working out what the startup brings to the table, what the 
consulting firm brings to the table, which is usually access to organizations, understanding of the business problems, and marrying those two things together. And I think where you where you bring those pieces together, you have a brilliant opportunity to do something great for the yeah. market. That's awesome. I mean, a couple of things you touched on there, really, really resonant points for aspiring startups to sell into enterprise. The notion of a champion, you know, actually having someone who can really help you. Do you have any thoughts or ideas on, you know, as a startup, how you go about finding the, the path of least resistance? Hard question, I know. Well, it isn't. It isn't in that even, and it's not just for startups. This is, this is true for everyone. I was on a call earlier this week with a very large, very well-established technology company, and it was all about product, 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 not business problem solving. And it sounds like the basics, but in fairness, I think many people start to forget what the basics are. I mean, if you go to an insurance company, and and in your world, if we're trying to solve, you know, optimization of an insurance model or pricing or underwriting. Well, let's talk about the problems that we solve, not necessarily that we can do it quicker, faster, better. And I think the early days of startups or new technology companies is very much focused on smarter, faster, better. But at some point, that all becomes commodity. And I worry then, how do you then start to differentiate? So for me, it really is focus on the things that will make a difference. And if all you've got is quicker, faster, better, smarter, then that's okay too. But let's just call out what we're actually solving. Yeah, it's a really, really good point. I will never forget, you know, once HX had got off the ground and we'd started doing sales and another consultant said to me, and he was very jaded, we were on an accelerator program, and he was saying, the number of startups I see who come in and talk about all the cool tech that they've made, they start listing technologies. And he was saying, the client or the user of your software does not care about that. They have a day job and problems to solve and you're there to fix and solve their problems. A hundred percent. remember to focus on that. It's very, very true. It's a, and I'm a, I'm a technology guy at heart, which is why I get so excited about the sector and the segment, but I'm not technology for technology's sake. It's going to be pragmatic and practical and solve back to those business problems that matter now, as well as the ones that might matter in the future. Yeah, for sure. I suppose turning the problem on its head, so to speak, how do your friends and partners uh, and colleagues at Deloitte feel about the role you play and what's their approach to startups more broadly? I know that's a very broad question, but I often think it's very interesting. You know, we work with you, you're the champion representative of Deloitte when it comes to startups, but often we end up working with broader parts of large organisations, Deloitte being one of them. So you talk a little bit about that. Yeah, and it's a really interesting point. I mean, we, we mustn't forget that Deloitte is an example is what, 300 plus thousand people worldwide doing an amazing job of helping organisations of all shapes and sizes do some very cool things. When it comes to this sort of area, there's genuinely a whole host of folks from partners all the way down to grads and analysts that have come in that are in love with, fascinated by, intrigued by what the startups can do for the market, society, and the firm. Louise Brett in the UK, for example, runs the fintech sector. Alana Sparks runs it out of North America. And there's, without question, over the last couple of years, a shift more and more to working out how we can do better together. But you know, I think your question is more, more geared at the, does everyone see this? Well, you know, if you're a tax partner and your only interest is in tax, then you may not be that intrigued by what the startup community can do for you. Although that said, I've tried to pick off individual groups and individuals specifically one by one. And you just have to go look at what Dave Taylor and our tax team and those guys are doing to work out how you can apply innovation or startups into the tax world as well. So 
People talk about, you know, ingenuity or innovation or whatever else. I genuinely believe if you look at one of the things that Deloitte comes out of around entrepreneurship, we have a large collection of people that want to be entrepreneurs inside the safer environment of a big mm. organization. And to do that, you've got a level of flexibility to go partner, explore, understand what the startup community can do. But it's not for everyone. If you had 330,000 Nigel Walshes, you'd probably go insane very, very quickly. So it takes it takes everyone to make a difference, right? Uh, and that's true for innovation. That's true for gender, for BLM, for all the other courses out there that we are trying to make changes to big organisations. You've got to have someone champion it and bring the organisation with you. And that's, that's where I see my role. Yeah, for sure. Nigel, you touched on some really interesting things there. I've worked around startups pretty much my whole career. And more and more, what I've seen is there is this huge buzz about startup culture now. Working for a startup used to be the career equivalent of running away to join the circus or something. (laughs) And in recent years, it's almost the complete opposite. You know, people that leave the the cozy corporate environment to go and work for a startup are held in this huge regard. It's like, wow, you know, it's so exciting. Good on you. Well done. Why do you think big corporates are so fascinated by the the startup world? You know, I mean, you touched on the ecosystem side of it, but, you know, actually, what is it they're trying to find in that relationship? Well, I guess every one of us has started off as a startup at some point, whether it was now or 175 years ago. We've all come from somewhere. We've all seen the lists on LinkedIn and Twitter of, did you know it was 26 years since Amazon started or whatever it might have been? And look at them, their overnight success. But it's hard to remember that 26 years ago, it was a guy in a garage with a door turned upside down across two easels, right? And I think we all look at that, all those stories, all those founders, all those hero stories are very, very evident in popular culture these days, I think. We, you know, in the UK for our listeners here, or even globally, I guess, we hold people up like Richard Branson, who's turned the Virgin Empire into something that's that's just truly fantastic based on brand. Um, I think organisations like ours look at startups in different ways. And we look at them from, you know, Amrit talked a minute ago about scale-up programmes or whatever else. It's how do we bring the capabilities of the firm? And I often describe it as I'm a big superhero fan, so I apologise. I often feel like I'm Iron Man, right? I always like the gadgets and toys, but I'm not Iron Man on my own. I'm Iron Man in Avengers. And when I turn around, I've got a team of really super smart, bright people that want to work with you to go solve problems. And that might be, hey, Amrit's just going to go and launch in country X. How do I do it? What regulation do I need? What's the tax laws? Well, guess what? I've got the Avengers next to me and I just keep going, bring more people, bring the right people that can help solve these problems. There's two things here. We see it as how do we help these startups scale, number one, which is really important because that means you're a future unicorn or whatever name you want to go give it, right? You're a future organisation that will require services, whether it's tax, finance, legal, accounting, technology, whatever it may be. And we've seen companies grow from, you know, one-man bands and pre-seed. In fact, one of my favourites, I work a lot with Toby at Lacquer, the cycle insurance company. I remember him talking to me before he left his job to go do this thing, back to your point about, you know, are you running off to, to join the circus or not? And there he is three or four years later with a company that's spreading out across the world. We've been on the ground since day one, helping him and advising him, being a, an ear and a friend. But then on the flip side of it is back to the point we discussed earlier about solving business problems. There's a great number of enterprise technology companies out there that do things really well. But like Amrit, like yourself, Joe, you've spotted gaps in the market and said, I can fix this better. So before Amrit got to HX and solved that problem, you were an actuary by day, 
separate Twitter title there, but an actuary by day, <laughs> solving problems in the same way that had been done for years and decades before you, but you spotted an opportunity to go solve something and can do that. And I think the role of the partner is to go, actually, there are things that will help organisations solve existing problems in better ways above and beyond the traditional way of doing it. And my favourite job, bar none, is orchestrating a number of partners to solve a very complex problem. Because if the answer for everything we had was, here, install this, and it's one thing, it does everything, you end up with the monolithic oil tank here that doesn't move fast, and that's actually what we're trying to get away of. I think in the world of insurance, and I'm sure it's probably true for most other organisations and industries as well, is insurance is typically a large collection of businesses that have come together or emerged or evolved over time. And we have to go back 20 years or 30 years, and we didn't have service-oriented architectures. We didn't have APIs. We didn't have data in the way that we have today. And we have to almost find ways to remove all that technical debt of years gone by and bring it into a modern modular approach, which is where I start to join together or orchestrate the startups to solve big business problems. So you touch on something there that it's nice to dig into a bit. Is that a strength of a startup that they can have that really sharp focus on solving a problem? Is that a particular strength of being a startup? I think so, because you start the organisation with a clear desire to solve a specific problem. I look at a big organisation like Salesforce that I've known for a very, very long time and hugely admire the success they've had. They've had an amazing culture after all these years. They started off solving what prior to that was all known as Siebel or other more traditional on-premise solutions. And they've all almost grown grown out of the Tom Siebel school of organisation. They've gone out and started up other things. But it quickly moved from CRM through to sales cloud, to service cloud, to marketing cloud, to then acquiring MuleSoft and, and Tableau. And they've just grown bigger and bigger over time, bringing together other companies. I mean, I remember reading Ross's exit note on LinkedIn after he sold it to Salesforce after starting MuleSoft in his bedroom to create an API organization. They all start somewhere and their journey may end up in part of a bigger piece, but they're no longer bigger pieces that can't be installed in bits. But I think you're right. I think actually, you know, we can't run an insurance business with HX on its own. HX is a small part of a very, very large complex puzzle, but equally it's a hugely important part. We know in this particular area, you've got this problem. And therefore, how do we go solve it with a very, very focused way? It might mean that you actually get to a point that it becomes part of a bigger picture. And actually, in the last 24 hours, 48 hours, we've seen two insurtechs be acquired to come together to form broader propositions. And, and do you think, is there a risk when that happens that some of the mojo that gives it its energy actually gets lost. You know, you're talking about Salesforce there. Salesforce is starting to look an awful lot like the corporations that they were competing with and winning yes. from for the last couple of decades. Is that an inherent risk or is that a tendency? You know, how, how do you see that sort of interplay between startups and enterprises or corporates? It's always a risk. Um, if you read any of the blogs or posts or books, you'll always hear about people running out of money or running out of steam. So I just do worry when you get to bigger propositions, do you have the right focus on the individual part that you set out to go solve in the first place? But then I, you know, I, I do go back to Salesforce. I've got plenty of friends in there. I actually, as I said, I really admire their culture because I do think they've got a level of energy and chutzpah that just says, let's keep going. 
the technology, and I might get shot for this, but the technology will always evolve and change and get better. The bit that we get stuck on more often than not is the people side of it. These can't go in isolation. Turning on new technology alone doesn't necessarily solve the problem. You've got to turn on the new technology and update the culture, attitude, mindsets at the same time to take advantage of those new things. I used an example for a friend of mine in Australia a while back. I said, there's no point buying a Lamborghini or a Ferrari in Amrit's case, um, having a super fast way of doing things, and then hitching a trailer to it. Because you're then just going to run at the same speed as you've always run. I mean, it ties back nicely to the previous question to me, which is, well, what's in it for a Deloitte or someone like that? And I think that's where you go, actually, not only are we interested in the tech because it's exciting, but actually we do business change and people change and culture stuff in a really, really good way. And that's where we can start to bring the Avengers team together to go solve this stuff. There's a huge amount, I think, to be said about that ecosystem play. It can be really daunting, I think, as a startup when you know you're solving a single problem and you're really, really great at it. And actually, you're just part of the solution. And there's a lot to be said about someone who can, you know, in your case, coordinate the ecosystem and create something that's much greater than the sum of its parts. But I suppose related to that, so what are your best and worst bits about working with startups as a leader in a large organisation like Deloitte for you then? Oh, wow. I'm an optimistic guy normally, so I'm not sure you get any worst bits out of me, but let's see. (laughs) Um, The best bits are I genuinely get to sit on the leading edge of technology and people that are passionate about solving problems of things I may not have seen or, or, or whatever else. So I generally get to go and see some really, really cool leading edge thinking and meet some people that I'm constantly learning from. It's a two-way street, right? It's I'm always learning. The teams here are always learning. And there's much to be had from that. Um, so I think that's one of the best bits because you can't possibly know everything about all four and a half or 5,000 startups that are out there. You know they're in different categories and you know what they do broadly and where they fit globally. One of the frustrating, I mean, I'd, I'd love to be able to help more and do more for people more often than I can. And I'd love to be able to get more through the funnel than I can actually do. I've taken an approach of narrowing it down to three broad categories that people will have heard me say things before. I mean, I'm, and people go, hey, we've got this great idea. Can you take us to all your clients? And that's just not possible because equally our clients sit there with a day job and a change stack and everything else that's going on. And often you might not be at the top of the list and probably more often than not, you're not at the top of their list. Um, Category two for me is, hey, this is a great idea. There's nothing in it for you, Deloitte. Would you mind taking it to your client? And I will always do that because I think if it's valuable for my clients and I can see something there, I'll happily do it. But what's in it for me though is I then go to the third category and go, how do I build a business that meets some of the Deloitte objectives and meets the client objectives and meets the startup objectives? And that's where I start to go build capability, you know, whether it's, having a team of technology delivery people partnered up with pricing actuaries and technical actuaries to put all these things together to go solve that business problem. For sure. Something that's really interesting for me there is, you know, startups are famous for being, let's say, nimble on their feet. And and we've talked about some, some of the ways that it's very refreshing to work with startups and some of the ways that startups solve problems that corporates either can't or find very difficult to do. I think it's also a theme, if not universally the case, Startups are infrequently really good at some things that corporates really enjoy, like, let's say, risk management or program reporting, program delivery. Do you ever run into that frustration that you're trying to work with a startup and they 
are just not rehearsed or practiced at the things that some of your stakeholders really value that are almost the kind of sacred cows in the work. Yeah, yeah. and actually it happens both ways as well. So I think we've got a good understanding of, about the operation or the, the things that make insurance companies tick and what they focus on. Um, so that's really important. That's kind of what we bring to the table as well as the network and the relationships and whatever else that we've got. I, I do feel b- because of the laser focus of a startup, they often miss the big picture sometimes because they're so, you know, blinkers on, eyes down on solving what they need to solve in their one piece that you've actually missed then the broader big picture piece and you're only interested in that one thing without understanding how the dominoes will fall either side of you. It happens on the other side as well with insurance companies because, and this is true for any industry, I'm sure, how does the host organisation work best with startups? That marriage has to work both ways. And that's either an individual, a process, a capability. I'm working with one right now, for example, where we're running along, it's all going really, really well, but are we plugged into all the right things? How we solve what the operating model will, will look like going forward? Do we know what the technology implications are? Do we know what the product implications are? What's the customer challenge going forward? So there's loads of other things above and beyond just solving that one little thing. It's almost what, what are those cause and effect pieces? And for us, it's then joining all those dots together so that we don't go, great, we've installed it and it's working, we've turned it on, then no one uses it because no one knows about it or it's not set up to work inside the right operating model of said organisations. Yeah, I mean, that sounds familiar. Um, so... Nigel, as well as you know, spending so much time working in your industry and trying to connect as many different dots as possible, you are also a dad to two kids, I think. Tell us a little bit about um, family life and how that interacts with work as well. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I mean, my, my kids are, I won't say grown up at all, they act it a lot. They're 11 and 7, a boy and a girl. It feels like in the early days, we're pretty damn useless as a dad sometimes, if I'm being really honest. You can do whatever you can to support your wife when they're just born. But now they're at this age, it does feel, and I and I whinge about it online, on Twitter, whatever else, but I love it. You know, the dad's taxi moments and whatever else. So I'm, the last eight months have really woken me up to what goes on in the house. I, you know, it's really weird. I'm sure I'm not alone in this, but I'd ordinarily leave the house early in the morning, see the kids very early and then disappear off if I was in the country. I've done a lot of travelling over the last couple of years and then come back not knowing a thing of what's gone on. And the last eight months, what I have realised is there's only been one day in the last eight months I've not seen my daughter for breakfast because I was in town for an early morning meeting. So one day in the last eight months has been really interesting. There's not been one single day that I've not, you know, seen them before bed or said goodnight or a story or watched a bit of TV together or whatever it might be. And I've started to see what goes on when they come home from school because I'm never normally here. I'm in an office. Uh, the homework that goes on, the questions that you get. It's been really interesting. I'm, there's nothing I enjoy more than seeing these two characters grow up, taking bits of me, bits of Emma into their own personalities and you can see which comes to where, clearly, if you know both of us. But uh, it's been a fascinating eight months and it's really it's really hit home what's important and what I enjoy most. So obviously with kids that kind of age, you're sort of through the really hard work and before the famously difficult bits. What have you learned as a parent that has improved your skills, either as a professional or in wider parts of your life? Yeah, I don't know about anyone else, but I've always, I guess we all do it. We all compare ourselves to how we were brought up. You know, I was born in Dublin, lived in, lived in Ireland. My parents, as I was a kid, used to run pubs and that sort of stuff. So actually my older sister, whose birthday it is today, she pretty much brought us up from, uh, from the same sort of age as, as, as our kids are now. 
and you remember the things that you do with your family, your, you know, your parents, and you remember the things that you don't do. And actually, I've probably over-indexed on all the things that my parents didn't do to try and go over above, above and beyond. I'll give you an example. I'm, I know very little about football, as anyone knows who sees me online, but I thoroughly enjoy taking my kids to see the local team uh, with Watford supporters, unfortunately. We go to the games together. I didn't do that with a, as, a, as a kid with my parents. Um, but recently I got voluntold into becoming the under 12 football coach. So I'm now learning what things like the offside rule are and all those sorts of other things. So, so actually it, the thing I learned most is the constant challenge of learning things that are new that will then help me grow and whatever else. And the latest challenge that we've got, and I'm sure all parents go through this, is my little guy, as I say, he's 11. He's a very smart little guy. I'm sure he all says about all, all our kids, but he's a smart, switched on kid. My wife has recently bought a number of books that he can read when the time is right about sex education and all this sort of stuff. And of course, we're now both reading these books going, oh my God, we have to teach him about these or tell him about these. And it's just a really interesting Really interesting experience of that one. I guess two last things. Dealing with 13, 11-year-olds in an under 12 coaching experience is more daunting and harder than standing in front of 500 people in an audience talking about insurance. So the skills that you learn about engaging either very chatty, very grumpy or very tired 11-year-olds on a Monday night for training or a Sunday morning for the matches is intriguing. It genuinely is. That's absolutely awesome. And the whole premise of Startup Dads is that both of these things are really, really difficult and anyone can do them. And if you can do one, you can do the other. I, I think to, to Joe's point, I think the ages of my kids right now, I almost describe them as scaring ups. Emma's got them <laughs> to the point that, I, that she actually trusts me not to, to, stay, to make sure they stay alive. And now I'm in scale up mode. All I've got to do is travel them from point A to point B, get them sorted out and we're in good mode. So we're, we're, we're in scale up mode. Very good. With the IPO being some some distance away, I imagine. <laughs> Startup shout out. So we're coming up to that point in the show where we like to shine a little bit of light on startups that we particularly admire or think are doing a great job. So, Nigel, if I could invite you to uh, do your startup shout out, please. Well, this is hard because I feel I'm very close to quite a few startups. Um, but, but I'm going to call out one and maybe two if you don't kill me. Let's see. So the first one, I've actually mentioned Toby already and Lacker. The reason I'm calling these guys out and the team that he's built with Jens and, and everyone else is lots of people go after quicker, faster, smarter, better. And not many people go after, let's go change an industry. And I truly believe what the Lacker guys have done or are doing is about changing the model of insurance, not just making it easier and, and whatever else to do. Of course, the fact that it's linked to cycling and I'm a keen cyclist is also a plus for me. But I genuinely believe what they're up to and what they're doing could change the face of insurance as we know it today. The, the other one I'm going to call out, if you're going to let me, is a startup called Poncho. And Poncho is an Australian organisation out of IAG. And it's not technically a brand new entity or whatever else. It's come out of a big, it's the second largest insurer out there. But, you know, what Phil Wilson-Brown and George and Marcus and the team have done down there is they've done this, you know, we talked earlier about how we could match big organisations and small organisations and get them all working side by side. They've created this brand new entity called Poncho doing motor insurance out of this great big giant organisation and made a really, really cool insurance business, leveraging some of the old world and building lots of new to make it really, really cool and exciting for customers. So I think actually it starts to demonstrate that 
you don't have to be a startup. You don't have to be an incumbent. You can be a hybrid between the two and still have some very cool things going forward. Cool. Thank you. I'll be sure to check out both of those guys. They sound great. And uh, we'll be posting details of that on the Twitter feed as well. Amrit, I think you're allowed a startup shout out as well. Awesome. Uh, so my startup shout out uh, this week is a company called Fast. I've not used their services directly. I've been fascinated with their journey and the way they've gone about building what they're building. Fast uh, are doing what they say is the world's fastest, easiest checkout for online purchases. So they talk about a one-click checkout when you're shopping at the moment. The checkout process is a little bit laboured. And what Fast tried to do is make that checkout process much, much faster clues in the name, smoother and easier for the users. They're also working on, you know, solving the perennial internet problem of passwords and identity management uh, around that, which is a subject very close to my heart as a provider of enterprise software where identity management is really important. Um, what I've really liked about Fast, a couple of things I shout out to their founder, Dom, is the really great transparency and regular updates he gives about the way Fast have been building their business. They've got a really interesting origin story. They've gone from nothing to a fast-growing, very successful venture-backed startup in a very short period of time. And the way they're going about doing that is shared really, really publicly on Twitter. And as I understand it, uh, Dom is a dad. So he's a startup dad. Uh, and that is super great. And Dom, we're definitely going to be reaching out to you to see if you want to come on this podcast and talk about life as a startup dad. So well done to Fast for all your success to date. Long may it continue. If I may add to that one, if you let me, I, I'm, I'm also a fan of what Dom's doing. One of the things he did, going back to the dad's piece, is actually he built, I think it was a climbing frame in the garden in North America where he where he lives. And he called it out as like a, as a three-beer project or a four-beer project. And it just made me chuckle. We've all been there, whether it's, uh, you know, flat pack wardrobes or what's not, trying to get things working. And uh, we've all had the, uh, is it a one-beer, two-beer or three-beer project? So that was quite fun. That's great. I like that ranking. There are definitely several beer projects in startup life and dad life. Nigel, uh, that's been an absolutely awesome episode. Tons of key takeaways and lots of learnings on all sides. So thank you very much for coming along and being a startup dad. And thanks for having me. Many thanks to today's guest. You'll find links to them and their work in the show notes. To join our community of parent founders, head over to the Startup Dads Facebook group. 